Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices, Past and Present. Brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention, www.ihconvention.com. The sermon on the podcast today was preached many years ago by Gary Brueger. It's titled, The Fullness of the Spirit. And I know you're going to enjoy this outstanding message. It has been such a wonderful privilege and enjoyable enjoyable opportunity to be here with you this week. I thank President Avery and the staff for every provision, every kindness that they've uh, made for my stay. It's been very, very comfortable. Thanks to those who had me in their homes for a meal and a time of fellowship. Thank you to the ministerial students, the preacher boys that let me eat a meal with them from day to day. And I, I enjoyed the interaction with them so very, very much. And I just feel like commending the student body for not only their praying, but for their obedience. Amen. And don't ever stop it. It's the only way to go. There's I just rejoice in the bright days that are ahead as you continue to be obedient to the Lord. Amen. That's certainly true of any one of us. When President Avery said a few moments ago that we traveled together, (laughs) I had an ornery streak pop up right then. I didn't have to preach this evening. I'd just like to take a few minutes and share some very nice stories with you about traveling with the president. It was a lot of fun. And, uh, but I won't do that. I won't do that. (laughs) But I, I am inviting you to turn in God's word with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter five. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 18. And read through verse 21. I'm going to be preaching on the subject of being filled with the Spirit. And I just want to tell you right now what a delightful privilege it is to be filled with the Spirit. I tell you, it's it's exciting. It it, it brings us to the point where that God intended us for us for us to be. Gets us to the place where that we're, we're fit to live and serve him. And I, uh, I, I get excited about it. Let's begin reading then with verse 18 of chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. The idea there is, this is not just a suggestion. In the tense that is used there, it has, the, it has the force of a command. Speaking to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. 
I cannot tell you how thankful I am this evening that God called me to be a holiness preacher. I, I just have a sense of, of gratitude and thanks because, in my opinion, a preacher of holiness has a greater opportunity to not only touch this world but to help this world than any other profession. In my opinion, I think we can help society and people not only as families but as individuals as well as collectively as a society. We can help more than a, more than a doctor and I thank God for doctors. More than a banker, more than a politician, more than a lawyer. It's a privilege to preach an experience that causes an individual to be filled with the Spirit, to be right in the sight of God. I, I was thinking about the disciples. When Jesus told them in in as Luke records in chapter 24, verse 49, to tarry in Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. The disciples could have easily said, we really don't want to stay in Jerusalem. It's, it's pretty tough around Jerusalem. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of religious pressure. People know us and they know who we've been with and it'd be a whole lot easier if we could go to to Galilee or some other point, anywhere. Why do we have to wait in Jerusalem? And besides that, Lord, why do we have to wait? Because you see, we've got a story to tell. We've got a message to preach. We've seen miracles. We've seen healings. We've seen some powerful, some wonderful things. Let us go tell it. But you see, the Lord knew. He knew the awesome pressure of persecution. He knew the night that they were going to face. And he knew just having a story was never going to hold them. They needed a pure heart. They needed to be filled with the Spirit. This is necessary because of the nature that, we, that, that we've each one been born with. James says it so, so correctly in, uh, in the first chapter of his epistle, when he says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Sometime back I was at home and I was reading the Columbus Dispatch, our area newspaper. I was leafing through it and all of a sudden an article I saw there and I began to read it. It was written by a man who had recently been taken to a local trout hatchery, a fish hatchery, there in the Columbus area. He told how long it takes for those little fingerlings to grow to the size that they can be released in the streams in preparation for, for trout season. Uh, he wrote a lot of things there, but the thing that, that I'd like to share with you that he wrote was he said, after the tour of the whole facility and all the information and pamphlets that they had presented to me, he said, the fellow who was taking me on the tour said, uh, 
I'd like to take you back and show you something that we don't show other people. Really, it's only the workers here that know about it, but I think you would, uh, I think it would impress you. He said he took me back into a back part of the uh, hatchery, and he said there in that remote area, he said he took me over to a large tank. And he said, as I walked up to that tank and looked in and saw those trout, I saw an amazing spectacle. He said, there were trout, and each one of them had two heads. He said, the man reached over and got some of the pellets that they feed those fish with. He said, uh, there was one of those two-headed trout that was off to its side, and so it would serve better to illustrate what he wanted me to see. He said he dropped a pellet immediately above that two-headed trout. He said, I, I, I watched the trout, and he said, each head saw that pellet. It knew that it was food. It likes food. And each head wanted to consume that pellet. He said, the right head saw the pellet from its vantage point, And it wanted to go. And so it gave a command to the body. Hey, there's food. Let's go get it. He said, but at the same time, the left head was seeing that same pellet of food. And said, you could, you could almost see this if you can see an expression on a fish. He said, he said, both of them, seeing it, recognizing it, wanting to eat it. And he said, each one of them was sending a command to the, to, to the same body, there's food, let's go eat it. And he said, all it could do, all the body could do, was wobble. And he said, the man said, now that's why we keep them in this tank. If we release them in a stream, they would not be able to live any time at all. We have to almost hand feed them. We have to put a pellet right down towards each head so that they can consume those. There I was sitting reading a newspaper a secular newspaper. And it seemed to me a very clear and pertinent illustration of what James was speaking of. A double-minded man being unstable in all of his ways. I have observed that in folk that I've preached to, folk that I've pastored. And so I'm preaching to you tonight a message that will take the wobble out. I was also reading and a scientist. I thought this was a fascinating exper experiment that he, that he uh, uh, did. He, he took spiders. He took butterflies in the cocoon stage before they, before they came forth from the cocoon stage. He did, I don't remember the exact number that he did, but uh, there was not a, a high level of, of uh, those that he operated on that lived, but there were a few. 
and he, he, wrote, his, uh, he wrote his report. What he did was, was take that part of, uh, uh, take a, that that was destined to become a butterfly, and he cut them in half, and he attached them to a half of that that was designed to become a spider. And then he waited. As I said, he didn't get a, a high living rate, but he had some of them. And he wrote and he said, I watched these creatures. He described them. I won't go into that part of it. For what I, for what I want to share is, as he told about those that lived, he said, sometimes, sometimes they were happy to fly. And they would fly. And he said, as I watched that, he said, that was the butterfly nature. But he said, some days, they didn't even try to fly. He said, all they wanted to do was just crawl. And he recorded that as the spider nature. And then he talked about its, uh, their appetites. He said, sometimes they like something sweet like nectar he said the butterfly nature coming through but he said sometimes they were not you could not interest them in nectar or anything sweet all they wanted was blood <laughs> and again I must tell you that I believe I have pastored some people that prior to they're being sanctified holy. I observe some of these same characteristics. Sometimes they wanted to do great things for God, and other times they seem to have little or no appetite or heart for it. Again, I'm telling you, this experience is going to take out that kind of a dual appetite. Amen. I have a preacher friend who told of a friend of his, a neighbor it was, who was troubled because in um, their neighborhood, one of the fellas had two hound dogs. Those two hound dogs just kind of controlled the neighborhood. Wasn't really safe to let your dog out because those two hound dogs, they like to fight. And they just look for any dog to come into the neighborhood. And they just loved that they knew how to fight together and they'd team up on any dog. Well, the fellow said, uh, my neighbor had had enough of it. And said he went and made an investment in a bench-legged bulldog, an English bulldog. And those things, you know, they are so ugly, they literally almost have to sneak up on a, on a bowl of water to get a drink. But they do know how to fight. They've got a nature that's, I mean, they just love a fight. And the fellow was... Uh, getting it simply for those two hound dogs. And 
And so he brought it home. He bought a, he bought a mature one. He bought one that uh, they, they told him he was a, he was a great fighter. He said, the first day I got him home, I was so happy. I was so proud of him. I fed him good, and I could hardly wait, and then I put him out. He said, when I put him out, he said, sure enough, the other neighbor's hound dog saw him, and boy, they come for him. He said, that, 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 that old bulldog said, he didn't back off a bit, but said, those, those hound dogs were good fighters, and said, it was a, it was a tremendous fight. Said, it took him quite a while. But finally, they got the best of that old bulldog and said, he come on back home. He said, I petted him and I praised him and I, I, I told him he could get him again tomorrow. Because <laughs> you see, that's the nature of the bulldog. He is going to fight. He said, I fed him good, told him what a good job he had done. And oh boy, you just stick at it and we're going to take care of those hound dogs. <laughs> he said, the next day, he said, I praised him, and he said, I'd fed him good again. He said, I put him out. He said, that old dude, bulldog, when he got out there on the back porch and he looked over, he knew exactly where they were, and he was wanting them, and he started for them. He said, he went over there, and he said, again, those old hound dogs, they saw him out there in the yard. They knew they were the ones that controlled everything in that, in that part of town, and he said, those two hound dogs started for him. He said, it was another tremendous fight. Said, took him a whole lot longer that day. Said, they finally got the best of the bulldogs. Said, back home he come for the second time. But he said, those old hound dogs were pretty torn up. They knew they'd been in a fight. He said, I praised him. I told him he'd get him tomorrow. They, they, they were going to be, be, belong to him tomorrow. He said, I fed him, a good, fed him good again that night. And <laughs> He said, the next day. I praised him, said, hey, you'll get him today, buddy. He said, I put him out, said, that old bulldog, said, he didn't even slow down. He hopped down off that porch, and he started right over for the neighbors where those two hound dogs were. Those hound dogs saw him coming that day, but they had had enough. He said, they just began to whimper and whine and crawled under the porch where he couldn't get to them. You know, I've seen some people when they've gotten saved and they've come to Christ and in prayer meetings and Sunday night services for a period of time, they do pretty well. But you've, uh, you've recognized them and perhaps you've lived that same kind of life that after a few, few weeks, a short time, there's an old nature that just keeps coming at you because it wants its own way. Day after day, day after day, and eventually it wears you down. You may, you may fight it for a while, but you can't control it. But after you've fought it for a while, all too often, people just kind of whimper and whine a little bit and crawl under the porch. And that old nature that wants to run things just takes over. And you live a life with little or no victory till next revival or camp meeting. Well, I want to tell you something. There's a far better way to live. You can't control that nature, but you can be cleansed of that nature. Hallelujah. I rejoice in that. In fact, sometimes 
I think we've we've really not paid much attention to to the fact that when Paul admonishes us, don't be drunk with wine. And you remember on the day of Pentecost when the 120 came forth filled with the Holy Ghost. In Peter's defense, he said, these people are not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. They have been filled with the Spirit. I, I, I thought of that one time for I'd been away in meeting in the city where I was pastoring. A, uh, a lady in the church where I was in the meetings, she said, you know, I've got a brother and his wife and family that, that live in the town where you pastor. I said, really? Do they go to church anywhere? She said, not that I know of. She said, they're not Christians. I said, if they're not connected with another church, I said, I'd really like to have their name and address. I'd like to call on them if you would, uh, if you would give it to me. She said, I'd love for you to call on them. So she gave me the name, the address. When I got home from that meeting, she had told me that he worked Monday through Friday and uh, that probably Saturday morning would be the best time to, to catch him. The next Saturday morning, I had already looked that address up so that I knew where it was, and, and uh, I went over to that address. I went up to the door. It was probably about 10.30 on Saturday morning. I rang the doorbell, and his wife came to the door. I introduced myself, told her who had uh, told me about them, and I said, is your husband at home? She said, yes, he is, but she said, uh, I'm a little bit embarrassed to tell you he, he's drinking this morning. Well, I said, is he really drunk? She said, well, she said, he's, he could still talk to you, but I'm just embarrassed for a, for a preacher to meet him the first time, and, and, and he's been drinking. She said, but I'd love for you to talk to him. If, 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 you, if it won't offend you, come on in. I said, fine. And so she took me in and took me back to the kitchen. I walked into the kitchen, and there seated at the kitchen table was a big, burly, muscular fellow in his uh, late 30s. His uh, eyes were a little bloodshot. He had a can of beer there in front of him, and there were three or four empty cans there. I don't know how long he had been drinking. But I walked in and I said, hi, Billy, my name's Gary Brueger. I said, I pastor a church here in town, but I've come to talk to you about your soul. I said, your sister gave me your name and address. He said, sit down here, preacher. I'd like to talk to you too. And so I sat down. He said, now, preacher, I know you wouldn't drink anything like I'm drinking now, but he said, would you like a Pepsi? I said, Billy, I said, I ate, uh, ate breakfast just a little while ago. I said, I really wouldn't care for a Pepsi. He said, how about a cup of coffee? I said, well, really wouldn't care for one. Just had a couple uh, when I ate breakfast with my wife and family. I said, I wouldn't care for one. He said, preacher, he said, wouldn't you like to have something to eat? My Dorothy is a wonderful, wonderful cook. He said, she can. He said, what would you like to have to eat? What would you like to have to eat? You just name it. We've got a freezer full of food over there. And I'll, get, I'll have my Dorothy fix you anything you want. You want a big T-bone? We'll get it ready for you. I said, Billy, I just ate breakfast. 
I have come to talk to you and your family about Jesus. We need that. We need that. Sure do. But preacher, I want to feed you too. Now, if you don't want a steak, how about a hamburger? Or would you like a nice big piece of pie? My Dorothy really bakes good, good pies. I said, Billy, I wouldn't care for a thing. I said, I've come to talk to you about your soul. I said, I've talked to, I come to talk to you not only about your soul, but I've come to talk to you about starting to get your, your, your wife and your children in the house of God and worship the Lord as a family. He said, preacher, he said, I'll tell you what. He said, we're going to be there tomorrow. Well, I said, well, that's good. I said, I'm going to pray with you before I go. And I went ahead and prayed. I called Dorothy and the kids in, and I prayed with them. And, and I gave them directions to the church and so forth. And before I left, he got out his bill for it. He said, preacher, do you need any money? Now, did you ever see a preacher that didn't need money? <laughs> I'm just teasing. I said, Billy, I don't need any money. I said, the Lord takes care of me. And I said, everything's all right. He said, but preacher, he said, if you ever need anything, he said, I want you to let me know I want to I wanna help you. I'll help you. I'll really help you. You know, he came to church the next day. Had his wife and two children. He kept coming to church on a regular basis. And it wasn't, it wasn't but about two weeks he called me when he came home from work one night. And he was under deep conviction. And, I, and he said, preacher, he said, I'm dropping in hell. Come pray with me. I got to get saved. But I told you that story for a reason. I saw some things in Billy that I know he was under the influence of alcohol. But, you know, I wish somehow we could be, we in the church could become filled with the spirit that we would have some similarities like that. You know, I've pastored people for years who when I went to call on them, they never offered me a Pepsi. They never offered me a Coke. They surely never offered me a T-bone steak. They sure never got out their billfold and said, Preacher, you want some money? Now, if you don't understand that illustration, you see me after the service, and for only $5, I'll explain it to, further to you. I mean, there's something contagious about it. And he just wanted to share. He wanted to give. And you know, I, I praise God for what this experience does in a person's heart and life and home. <laughs> and I think there are some outstanding characteristics of it. I, I call them elements of this experience. One of them is satisfaction. Satisfaction. We are satisfied with the person of Jesus Christ. We're not only satisfied with his person, we're satisfied with his provisions. And when we're satisfied with the person and the provisions of that person, we're satisfied with the prospects. Now, I'd like to illustrate that again. You'll please pardon the personal illustration. But, uh, and, I, and I probably ought to put a disclaimer on this because... It, it has to do when I was a student here at school, and it has to do when 
I found the girl that I fell in love with, and we were going to get married. And I just wanted some of the things that transpired. I, I do not recommend you to follow them. Uh, please, please, please remember that. But you see, when, when it came that time and, and I had found the girl that, that, that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And I want you to know that when I found Martha, I forgot about all the other girls. You know, when I came to Bible school, I knew that as a, as a pastor, I was going to need a wife. And I was asking the Lord to lead me. I was asking the Lord to guide me. I wanted just the girl that he wanted me to have for my wife. Now, while I was praying about it, I was also trying to help the Lord out. <laughs> I was looking him over. I was wondering if that would be the one. I was wondering if that would be the one. But then, one day, I saw Martha. And there was something about her that attracted me. And I can, re I can still remember the first conversation I ever had with her. I was scared to death. I know my voice quivered. I know I was nervous. I didn't really have a, have a live coal of fire in either shoe. But I mean to tell you, my feet just wouldn't stay still. I, I, was, I was nervous. My, my, my hands were sweaty. And all I was doing was saying, hi, what's your name? Where do you live? And what are you going to do in life? And, you know, just, just casual things like that. But, oh, I was so excited. And the more that, the more that I, that I got to be around her, the more I learned about her, I was so happy. I was so satisfied with that person. I said goodbye to all the others. Didn't have any others to say goodbye to, but I mean, I just quit looking at the crop. <laughs> I didn't look at Susie or Sally or... Or, or, or any of the others any longer because I found the one. And that was a wonderful feeling. You know, it's a it's a such a a gratifying thing to get to a point where that there is no competition in your life. Now I'm using an illustration that, that you understand quite well, one of a relationship of a man with a with a woman. But you see, it, it works also in our spiritual life. When we get to that point where there is no competition with Jesus Christ. I became satisfied with the person. And after we had courted for a while, I asked her if she would marry me. And she said yes. I was thrilled to death. And so then we began to talk about when we were going to get married. And uh, I tell you now, this is the part that I really have to put a disclaimer on. Because I have to tell you, I didn't really use the best sense. Really didn't. But, be, you know, that's just part of being young. <laughs> I found the girl that I loved, and she said she loved me. And, you know, 
I went out and I, I, uh, she was still living at home, traveling with, uh, with her folks that, uh, that summer, that fall, and, and well, I'd been doing it for about a year or so. And uh, I was wanting to make provision because now our, our wedding date was approaching. And so here in the city I went and I found a furnished apartment. Because you see, as a, as a Bible school student, I was working my way through, and I didn't have the money to go out and buy furniture. Uh, I mean, I would have if we'd have waited a while, but I didn't want to wait. And so I found a furnished apartment. That way everything would be there. And so we got married, and after we were married, it was wonderful. I, I was so happy. But that furnished apartment was pretty expensive. And one day I was reading in the, in the Enquirer, and I saw, uh, I saw where we could get an unfurnished apartment right over here. The building's, no, building's not there any longer. It's over near to uh, Christ Hospital. We could get an apartment in there for, for about a third of what I was paying for that other one. And it was about the 28th of the month, and I was sitting there, and I hadn't even really thought of the date, the date of anything, and, but I was reading it, and so I said, hey, honey, look here. I said, here's an apartment over so much closer to the school. It's only about a third of what we're, uh, of what we're paying now. We could take that, that other money, and we could be putting that on furniture. She said, well, that sounds pretty well. She said, what kind of apartment is it? I said, I don't know. Let's go see it. So we came over. We looked at it. It was a nice apartment. And the fellow said, well, he said, some others are kind of looking at it. And, and he said, uh, it'll probably rent before the, before the first of the month. And I said, uh, we talked it over real quick. And I turned around and I said, you just rented it. We'll take it. And so I gave him the deposit. And I gave him the first month's rent. And now <laughs> we're going to move because we're going to, we got to get out of our other apartment before the end of the month or we'll have to pay another month. It, it's amazing how young people think. But, you know, I know I didn't use the best of sense, but I was so happy, so excited because I had my lover with me. And so after we went back and we began moving that very day, Loaded the car up, and, you know, we really didn't have any furniture to move. We just had, we just had kitchen appliances. Uh, and when I talk about appliances, I'm talking about electric skillet, popcorn popper, you know, things like that. We didn't have a stove. We didn't have a refrigerator. We didn't have a bed. We didn't have a, we didn't have a table. We didn't have chairs. We didn't have anything. We had each other. And that's all we needed. <laughs> and so we come to our new apartment, and we moved in. Boy, this is wonderful. Where are we going to sleep, sweetie? <laughs> Where are we going to eat? <laughs> How are we going to fix it? I said, boy, we got we got to do something quick. <laughs> and so we went out and we got a styrofoam chest. <laughs> you can get almost three days out of a bag of ice and a styrofoam chest. You don't buy a gallon of milk at a time. You only buy a quart at a time. You go to the store near about every day, at least every other day, just to get what you're going to be using. <laughs> but you know, it doesn't really matter if you got each other. 
I said, sweetie, where, where are we going to, where are we going to eat? I said, I, we got to do something. She said, I don't know. I said, figure something out. So I went out and got in the car. I drove over behind a, a grocery store and I found two orange crates. I went up and down the alleys and I found a, I found a, a nice wide board. And I went to Salvation Army and I got a couple of old beat up chairs. And I went back, I had an idea. <laughs> and I went in and Martha was busy somewhere else and before she came in there I set up those orange crates and I put the board on top uh, and I got a tablecloth out and I put it over all that and I set those two chairs there. And I called her out and I said, hey sweetie, what do you think of that? She said, well, it looks like it'll work fine. Well, where'd you get that table? <laughs> I said, sweetie, I, I didn't get a table. I said, uh, I couldn't find one we could afford right now. You know, we were using that electric skillet. You know, if I say this, you'll probably laugh. You'd be surprised what all you can fix in a popcorn popper. <laughs> you really would. You can fix a lot of things. We did it. And I can remember time after time we'd fix our meals together. We finally got a little two-thing two hot plate, and, and uh, then we had our other appliances. <laughs> but we had each other. And I can remember meal after meal. We'd, say, we'd pull up to that little table, you know, just two orange crates and a board, but that tablecloth made it look pretty decent. And we'd sit there and hold hands while we prayed to Jesus and thanked him for the food that he had given us. I mean, I wouldn't, I really, while I wouldn't recommend that for any of you to go through, I wouldn't take a million dollars for some of those experiences because we were so happy with each other. And that's the way I believe that we ought to be with Jesus and being filled with the Spirit. I tell you, <laughs> it's so wonderful to be satisfied with the person. And to be satisfied with the provisions. And I thought different times. My sweetheart stood right beside me during those, during those lean days. It, it wasn't too long until we were able to get a refrigerator. It wasn't too long until we were able to get a stove. It wasn't too long until we had a bedroom suit. It wasn't too long until we had a whole apartment full of furniture. But we've got some precious memories. And I'm so thankful that my wife understood that I was a Bible school student, that God had called me to preach, and she wanted me more than anything else to stay in school, to stay in school, live within our means, and be able to go out to, and answer the call of God on our lives when the time came. I thank God not one time when we pulled up to that table, that makeshift table, nothing but orange crates and board covered with a, with a tablecloth. I thank God never one time did she say, you big louse, why'd I ever marry you? We don't even have a decent table around here. Never once. 
I can remember her holding my hand as we'd take turns and thank Jesus for our food. I can remember how she'd say, it's so fun being married to you. I'm so happy. Now I'm glad to tell you that if you come to the Brugger home today, you wouldn't really be able to recognize we ever had to live like that. God's been so good to us in the course of the years and has provided so, so wonderfully for us. But I use that as an illustration, young people. To be filled with the Spirit, one of the elements of that experience is that we're going to be satisfied with the person of Jesus Christ. We're going to be satisfied with the provisions that He has for us. We're going to be satisfied with the prospects of our future. Hallelujah. Another element of this experience is the sufficiency of it. I love to praise God. He is worthy of all of our praise. There's, there's power in praising God. But there's spiritual benefit also. Because I want you to know that, that a lot of the germs that cause depression and, and despair and distress and discouragement, they just can't live in an atmosphere of praise. They can't do it. I've proved that. I've learned that. And I tell you, I appreciate the emphasis on testimonies this week. And I appreciate the testimonies that I've heard. Don't ever be guilty of using a testimony to tell a hard luck story or to give some pitiful physical experience. That's not a testimony. And I rejoice in serving a God and being filled with His Spirit uh, that absolutely uh, He has satisfied sufficiently every longing of my life and every need of my life. Hallelujah. I love that. One place I was pastoring, and I learned that a former pastor was, was retiring from where he had been pastoring and was moving back. And I, and I rejoiced in that. I thought, here's a seasoned warrior coming back. He'll be able to teach this kid so much. He'll be able to give me some guidance and some instruction and and, and I really looked forward with great anticipation. Finally, the first service that he was going to be with us arrived. He was going to be there for, for, for a Wednesday night prayer meeting. I had a, I had a bit of a devotional that night, and, and then I, but, but I, I like to emphasize prayer in, in the prayer meetings that I lead. And so I had, I had uh, given prayer requests. Uh, I had uh, exhorted the people on praying and then invited them in around the front of the church and, and, and we prayed. And after we prayed, uh, uh, we, we paused a little while and, and then I challenged them and exhorted them and, and we prayed some more. And after a couple of good seasons of prayer, went back to the seats, we sang a chorus or two and then I said, now, do we have testimonies? And I was thrilled because that retired pastor, he began to stand up. He's older now. And he stood up, and I never will forget his testimony. He said, well, 
It's so good to be back home. He said, I suppose that my testimony is a, is a little bit like Naomi's in the Bible. Years ago, I went out full, but now I'm coming home empty. And I had to bite back some words. As a young pastor, I didn't want to be disrespectful of this of this of this older pastor, but I really had a had an urge to tell him to sit down and keep his mouth shut until he learned what a testimony was about. Amen. Testimony's no time to to tell about your woes, your hard times. We have a God that sufficiently meets our needs. I love the sovereignty of this relationship. I have a book in my library. I just uh, I paid a good uh, good price for it just a, just a couple of months ago, and it's a it's a real treasure. And one of the stories in it uh, takes place where Sir John is trying to buy up. Uh, along with his estate, he's wanting to buy up Huntersfield. He has bought most of the properties in this little village. But there is one little Quaker lady who has a cottage, and she has turned down three offers. She said, Sir John, I'm not interested in selling. I'm not going to move. This is my property. I'm staying here. <laughs> He went back the fourth time, exasperated. He had given her each time a nice increase in the offer. This time, he wanted to make an, an offer so attractive she couldn't turn it down. He said, I will have my men lay gold pieces on the, on, and cover your entire roof. And whatever that amount comes to, that's what I'll give you. I want this property, and then I will own all of Huntersfield. And the little Quaker lady looked at him with a twinkle in her eye, and she said, Sir John, remember this. Huntersfield belongs to thee and me. <laughs> you know, I have, I have known some people who have dealt with God like that, and have kept a reservation in their life. You will never do that and be filled with the Spirit. It is going to cost you an entire and an absolute surrender to God's will. I mean, there will be absolutely no reservations. Amen. <laughs> Submissiveness is one of the beautiful qualities. You know, somehow I would to God that, that we in our, in our holiness circles could pick up on submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God as one of the outstanding characteristics of being sanctified holy. Amen. I mean, that had been a good place for an Amen. And if the rest of you would at least clear the aisle and sit down, I would like <laughs> submission, submission, one to another. In fact, let me show you something that I feel like the Lord revealed to me or showed to me. Notice with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 
There's some, Paul is writing to the, to, to the church at Corinth, and he's giving them some, some, some history, and uh, he's done that up through the, through the first six verses as he's introducing this to them. And then in verse 7, he says, Neither be ye idolaters as some of them. Verse 8, he starts out, Neither let us commit fornication. Then notice verse 10, Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured. And here's what I think I, I see in this passage. That the sin of idolatry, the sin of immorality, and in the same passage, Paul talks about the sin of murmuring or of grumbling. And you see, this sin of grumbling, of murmuring, is a, it's a terrible thing. Because you see, involved in the sin of grumbling is pride, which is really saying, is grumbling and saying, I deserve better than what I'm getting. Amen. It also involves unbelief because it is rejecting this of what's happening in your life and saying, if God's doing this, he must have his wires crossed. It also incorporates rebellion, which says even if God is doing this, I don't like it. And it also incorporates the sin of ingratitude because it forgets that this is God's provision his mercy for us and to us. <laughs> Young people, I trust that you could remember this, this passage down through this school year because there's going to be some times when you're going to be called in and made accountable to authority. Maybe one of your deans, maybe one of your professors, I really don't know. One of the most important things in your life, though, is how you respond to authority. It's how you respond. If you respond with resentment or you respond with rebellion and want to do here on campus, even as Barabbas did in Jerusalem, and lead an insurrection... Well, at least there were some here in the days when I was here as a student that endeavored to do that. I thank God they were dealt with. But you see, it's all a part of how we respond to authority. And maybe you won't do it with resentment. Maybe you won't do it with rebellion. But all too often we do it with grumbling. And that's why I wanted to show you that here Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost 
includes in the passage where he talks about idolatry, where he talks about immorality, he talks about murmuring or grumbling. You'll be tempted to do that this year when you think you didn't get the fair shake. You weren't treated correctly. And all the students said, Amen. <laughs> this experience that God has that's characterized by satisfaction, by, by sufficiency, by the sovereignty of God, by the, by the submissiveness. How, how is it received? Well, we realize in God's word that he has called us to it. He has clearly summons us to be holy. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. God has not called us un unto uncleanness, but he's called us unto holiness. And then we realize that it's his will. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. I, I have never been remembered in a will. Sometime I hope I am. I, I just think it's got to be exciting. To be summoned to wherever this will is going to be read and to sit there. And all of a sudden, they tell you what they will to you. I think that'd just be wonderful. In fact, one of, the, one of my pastorates across the road, there were some, there were some, nice, uh, some nice homes over there with four or five acres apiece, most of them. And after I'd been up and down the, the, the street where I, on the side of the street where I lived, I, I started across the street and was going systematically to all of the homes and introducing myself as the new pastor as, and uh, wanting to be their friend and trying to find about, out about their church life. If they had a, if they had a church home, uh, I encouraged them to be faithful to their church home. But if they didn't, I told them that I was very interested in them coming and worshiping with us. Down the street just a bit from being right across from the Parsonage was, uh, was an older brick home. And when I went there, there was a servant who came to the door and, and responded to the doorbell. I told her why I was there. And she said, just a moment. And she was gone. And then she came back. She said, uh, Miss Stegall will see you. So I went in, and here sat an elderly lady. I learned later that she was 94 years of age. And she was sitting there with a big stand right beside her and a big open checkbook on that stand. And uh, I told her my name, told her that I lived almost right across the street from her, and that I hadn't lived there very long, but that I, and I was the pastor of the church, and I come over to introduce myself to you and I want to be your friend. She said, I'm a member of the First Baptist Church. Well, I said, okay. I said, that's fine. I said, but I still want to be your friend because I want to be a good neighbor to you. I want you to know that if you have any needs, I want you to feel free to call on me. I want to be a good neighbor to you. She said, uh, I appreciate that. I said, uh, does your pastor come see you often? She said, my pastor has not been here to see me in over 30 years. I said, really? She said, yes. 
She said, the church sends me a bill at the first of each month, and I write my check and pay my bill every month. I'm a member of the First Baptist Church. Well, I said, okay. I said, uh, do any of the uh, other groups in the church, do they ever come see you? She said, the last time one of the ladies' auxiliary groups came to see me was over 15 years ago. I've not had a visit from the church. She said, they also send me a monthly bill, and I pay that one also. I'm a member in good standing at the First Baptist Church. I said, okay. I said, I understand that, Miss Teagle. I said, may I ask you a question? I said, how's your walk with Jesus? Is he living in your heart right now? She said, didn't I just tell you I'm a member of the First Baptist Church? I said, yes, ma'am, you did, and I got that. But I said, I'm not talking about church membership. I said, I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know him as your Savior? She said, I was saved several years ago. And she said, of course, I'm still saved. I'm a member of the First Baptist Church. I said, uh, Miss Stiegel, I said, since you don't have anyone coming to see you from your church, I said, what would you think if I would come over and, and uh, have a little Bible devotion? I said, maybe the Sunday school lesson, whatever you'd choose. I'd just like to come and, and kind of uh, begin to give you some spiritual food. Well, she said, how much would it cost me? I said, Miss Stiegel, it won't cost you anything. I said, I would count it an honor to, to just come and, and share with you. And, and I said, I want to pray with you. I said, I want to be your friend. I want to help you get to heaven. Well, she said, I want to go to heaven. I'm planning on going to heaven. Well, I said, good. I'm glad to hear that. But I said, you've got to make pre pre preparation. Well, I know that. So she said, uh, how much you want me to make this check out for? I said, Miss Stigo, I don't want a check. I just want to be your friend. I said, uh, I'll be over Saturday. But I prayed with her that day, and I left. I went over a few times, but it wasn't very many times, because very shortly after that, Miss Stiegel was found dead by the servant one morning when she went to work. Miss Stiegel had already told me she only had one living relative, that was a brother that lives out in Denver, Colorado. She said, uh, I haven't seen him for over 10 years. I hear from him every year. I've heard from him every year for years and years, just once. She said, it alters like this. See, she was, I learned later that she was a, she was a millionaire. And her brother would contact her and say, dear sis, my old jalopy is kind of wearing out. It's nearly two years old now. And I went down to, down to the dealership, and I found out there that, that uh, the dealer will take my old jalopy, and he'll fix me up with this brand new one, and he said he'll do that for only $11,000 difference. Now he said, if you'll just give me this $11,000, sis, you can just leave me out of the will. So she said, I send him a check for 11000 And I don't hear from him until the next year. The next year, the alternating year, she said, it's always the house. She said, he's always getting a, a different house. And he'll write me and he said, dear sis, car's doing fine. 
Not going to need, need another one for a long time. But the old house that I got two years ago, oh my goodness, sis, it's just falling apart. I tell you, that realtor, he didn't treat me right. And this thing needs painted, and there's just a whole lot of work needs done. But I've found another one, and sis, for only $32,500 difference, I can, the, the realtor will take this house uh, and, and move me into that house. So she said, I write him a check for $32,500. And she said, he just, every year, it's either the car or the house. It's only my, my only relative. It was amazing, a family that I'd led to the Lord, and they were attending the church. Their daughter, who hadn't started coming yet, she's a legal secretary, and she's a legal secretary for Miss Stiegel's attorney. It's quite interesting when Miss Stiegel passed away so suddenly. All of a sudden, I saw her driveway filled with cars. And in the interim, I had met the daughter of the family that was now attending church that had gotten saved. And it was amazing because she began to tell me, she said, you know, she said, there's only one living relative of Miss Stiegel. But said, you know who all those people are out there in those cars? Said, don't have any idea. She said, there's all kinds of cousins, all kinds of lost relatives that now because of the size of her estate... She said, in fact, that uh, checkbook you mentioned about her having there, said, you really should have let her write you a check. Said, she, she always kept at least $800,000 in that account. Said, it wouldn't have bounced. You know, I just don't deal in figures like that. Uh, and I thought about that. Here is the will of a woman. And when they gathered to read that, People who had absolutely no right, no claim, no relationship. They were there for the reading of it, hoping, hoping that they'd be remembered. Well, I got better news for you tonight. Here is the will of Jesus Christ. And he wills for you to be holy, to be filled with the Spirit. And he even suffered without the gate that he might sanctify the people. I tell you, this, this is the most wonderful privilege, a glorious opportunity. I don't know why anyone would want to hang on to that old carnal nature and struggle and talk about what all they have to give up and what all it's going to cost them to go with Jesus. I tell you, it's a privilege. It's a glorious privilege to be filled with the Spirit. And we're going to stand, and I wonder, is there anyone tonight? You're hungry to be filled. Our musicians are getting an invitation number. We're not going to pull long. We're not even going to hold on long. If you're hungry for this experience, you want to be filled with the Spirit, come quickly. Father, thank you for your Word and every provision of your Word. And Lord, somehow help these that have sought and been saved this week. Thank God that they're saved. But oh Lord, you know that nature that they were born with. They will not be able to, to handle it. They will not be able to control it. It'll drag them down. They need to bring it to Calvary. 
and have it crucified. Lord, touch those that have been seeking holiness and may they realize it's not in the struggle. It's not in, in how, how we try to bargain with God, but rather it's just in that sweet surrender to your perfect will. Give us victory this evening, we pray in your precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. Keep passing it on, keep passing it on, keep passing it on.